Hello, and welcome to the Chrisman Commentary Daily Mortgage Podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Chrisman. Thank you for listening on this Monday, March 1st, 2021. Topics on this episode include how LOs know when to lock, part one of my interview with Active Compliance Melissa Thomas, and a comprehensive capital markets update on last week's bond market sell-off. Today's podcast is presented by Stratmore Group. Stratmore Group is a leading mortgage industry advisory firm that provides a range of advisory services and programs designed to counsel lender CEOs and senior executives. Stratmore serves more than 250 companies annually, providing solutions that increase growth and improve profitability in sales, marketing, technology, operations, and mergers and acquisitions. The company leverages comprehensive proprietary data and key insights gained through extensive experience in the mortgage industry. Find out more about Stratmore on its website at stratmoregroup.com. With the jump in mortgage rates Thursday and the move back down Friday, a few lock desk personnel wrote over the weekend about asking ways of keeping LOs who floated when rates were low or locked loans at the bottom off their back. Well, there is the dog that's famous for not wanting to be eaten by a coyote. Meet Beanie. Her viral spiky vest is the latest in a long line of protective gear for pets. For that link, go to robchrisman.com. Certainly, the mortgage servicing rights of the 2020 book have become more valuable to those holding it as the perceived duration has increased. At this point, who is going to refinance a 2.75% 30-year mortgage unless they need cash out? Last year saw a continued wave of people in their 20s and 30s buying or trying to buy homes. It's not an easy process saving up the down payment, qualifying for a loan, finding a property, and presenting a winning bid. I'd suggest you listen to my interview last week with Ariadne Smith about her time going through the home buying process. For today's interview, I wanted to bring on Melissa Thomas, head of compliance for Active Comply. Active Comply is a social media monitoring and website archival software for the financial industry, ensuring that mortgage lenders and their loan officers can engage with social media in a safe and compliant manner. Compliance should always be a hot button topic for lenders, especially now under a Biden administration that has hinted at stricter enforcement by the CFPB. I don't know how to how to convince people that compliance is important if they don't already already understand how important it is, but hopefully that helps. If you have any questions or to schedule a demo, reach out to Melissa at Melissa at activecomply.com. You can also visit the Active Comply website to view their latest webinar on social media compliance with Mitch Kiter and Michael Dunn. Do you mind if I just ask away and for sure. Melissa, there are all kinds of regulations out there for lenders. How does that apply to social media? Where to begin is the real question, right? So I think very often loan officers in particular don't really think about social media as advertising, especially not mortgage advertising, but that's exactly how regulators see it. So very often we'll have lender partners who come to us who are interested in in learning about the solution or learning about social media compliance. And what we'll find is that it's the Wild West out there where LOs have had the capacity to go out and say what they need to say to bring in that book of business. And social media is a really great tool, but with that power comes the same responsibilities with any other form of mortgage advertising, the same as brochures and websites at home, right? So that means that quite a few things apply. First and foremost is the FFIEC, which is made up of some familiar faces like the CFPB, the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, and some other regulatory bodies, they issued guidance around social media compliance in 2013, 
And what that really says is that lenders are responsible for identifying, measuring, monitoring, and even controlling the risks related to social media. And that's quite a daunting task if you're a larger lender. We see very often that lenders who get over 150 LOs are just exhausted trying to keep track and monitor everything that an LO says online, making sure that it meets those regulatory guidelines of of regular advertising standards. If you're talking about a specific percentage rate, you've got to add APR to it. If you're talking about specific products, there's very likely a disclosure that's tied to that. Like Virginia says that you have to have a special disclosure around anything with refinances. That's really difficult for any compliance department to wrap their hands around. So there's just the stereotypical regulation around individual products. There's regulation around what a lender is responsible for and how they should have a risk management process in place. And then there's ultimately state record retention requirements. So some states require two, three, four years of mortgage advertising be retained by lenders. So that can be really difficult if all of your LOs are their own miniature marketing departments. How do you capture that information? How do you store it? And then make sure that what they're saying is accurate and represents the product line that you have. It can be really difficult if you don't have any sort of automation involved. Yeah, social media really sounds like the Wild West, especially to those that aren't familiar with it in their own personal lives. Can, can lenders have a code of conduct around social media? And, and if so, what could be included in that? That's a great question. So very often, um, lenders really have a freestanding social media policy in place just because it's such an emerging technology and it's unlike the rest of mortgage advertising. And they think that it demands a separate document and should be addressed a little bit more specifically. Sometimes we'll have lenders that do have sections embedded into their employment agreements or into a general marketing advertisement document. But we're seeing quite the rise in freestanding social media policies that outline more specifically which places an LO can advertise, what are the acceptable websites for an LO based on that specific institution, what are the risk tolerance levels for that institution as to what they can do, what they can't do, especially around referral partners. We see very often realtors or builder partners sharing items from LOs directly or vice versa. So lenders definitely have added quite a few items to the codes of conducts and the social media policies around those types of interactions in case there's a RESPA Section 8 issue afoot, how to protect against that, including also items around licensing requirements. So here's what a compliant profile looks like. Here's what's expected of you to include on the profile. We're seeing more and more that lenders have a standard licensing disclosure that's required on every single profile. We also know that in specific states, they say you need something like the NMLS Consumer Access link. That's specific to Washington State. Or in California, you need to have a privacy policy link on your social media profile. So depending on where the lender is and what states they really operate out of really changes how they form that social media policy. Yeah, it almost sounds like walking on eggshells here or minesweeper where you (laughs) never know where the bomb's going to go off. For part two of our interview, tune in tomorrow. Well, Fed Chair Powell reiterated before Congress last week that the central bank would keep interest rates low and stimulus flowing freely to support the economic recovery for as long as necessary, we saw a massive sell-off in the bond market, largely on Thursday, due to inflationary fears and record low demand at an auction of seven-year bonds. The sell-off, which many attributed to technical rather than fundamental factors, actually caused many to reprice their outlook for a Fed rate hike. 
even with no major economic developments or shifts in tone from policymakers. The five-year treasury note, a maturity often associated with long-term rate expectations and also mortgage pricing, jumped relative to its two-year and 10-year peers. As I mentioned last week, the sell-off was global, with bond yields also rising in the UK, Japan, Germany, and Australia. By Friday, the fixed income sell-off paused and bounced back, with the 10-year yield slipping back toward 1.45% as the entire global bond route eased. Personal consumption rose 2.4% year-over-year, while the Personal Consumption Expenditure Index, the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, rose 1.5% year-over-year, the biggest gain in a year, though it still remains half a percentage point below the Fed's target. Put another way, while the bond market thinks inflation is happening or going to happen, the data is yet to reflect it. It would also seem that people are saving their stimulus payments rather than spending them, evidenced by a personal savings rate that is currently at over 20% as a percentage of disposable personal income, even before this next round of stimulus checks. We also saw a 10% month-over-month gain in personal income in January. Fortunately, that reveals the potential for a major pickup in spending. What does it mean for mortgage rates? The Mortgage News Daily 30-year rate closed up 25 basis points on the week last week to 3.29% after rising just one basis point in the prior week. This opening week of March sees the usual busy economic calendar that culminates with the February employment report on Friday. Markets will also receive updates on manufacturing and non-manufacturing PMIs, construction spending, productivity, unit labor costs, and factory orders. FedSpeak is busy ahead of the blackout period before the March 16th-17th FOMC meeting, including New York's Williams, Governor Brainerd, Atlanta's Bostitch, Cleveland's Mester, and Minneapolis's Kashkari all scheduled to appear today. Today's economic calendar gets underway later this morning with the final February market manufacturing PMI and will be followed shortly thereafter by ISM manufacturing PMI for February and January construction spending. At the very end of the week last week, the desk released a new MBS purchase schedule covering the March 1st to 11th period, totaling up to $55.7 billion or $6.2 billion per day on average. As expected, More of the UMBS 30 operations target 2% and 2.5% relative to 1.5% and 2% in the prior schedules. This week, the desk will conduct seven operations, all near $3.1 billion, with four targeting 1.5% and 2% coupons and three targeting 2% and 2.5% coupons. The Gini 2 operations continue to target 2% and 2.5% and the UMBS 15 operations 1.5% and 2%. Today's schedule sees the desk purchasing up to $7.7 billion of MBS, including $6.2 billion of UMBS 30s. We begin the day with agency MBS prices worse a shade and the 10-year yielding 1.44% after closing last week at 1.46%. Let's wrap up with a joke and some housekeeping. My wife yelled across the house, do you ever get a shooting pain across your body like someone has a voodoo doll of you and is stabbing it? I yelled back, no. She responded, how about now? (laughs) Thanks again to our sponsor, Stratmore Group, the trusted mortgage advisory with advisors who guide lenders to make smart strategic decisions, solve complex challenges, improve the borrower experience, increase profitability, and accelerate growth. Be sure to check out the Stratmore website at stratmoregroup.com. Thank you for spending a few minutes of your time with us. 
If you have any questions about the podcast or sponsoring opportunities, send me an email at Robbie at robchrisman.com. Visit robchrisman.com for more information on our industry partners, access to archived commentaries, and how to subscribe to the daily mortgage news and commentary. To listen to or download past episodes of this podcast, search Mortgage News on any platform you get your podcast from.